Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dark Highways podcast. We hate intros. How do we introduce ourselves? I don't know, but here we are. This is Kristen. We should just like go right into it and just like start telling the story. Start telling the story. They know, they know who we are. What are we even doing? So this is technically the third stop in Massachusetts, but this time around we did it kind of the other way because this is going to be a long episode. It's actually going to be a two-parter. So it's going to be all about the uh, mental hospitals that were in Massachusetts and that long, dark history that Massachusetts had. Um, While other states did have uh, their own mental institutions, Massachusetts just had so many for such a small state. And I think um, its history with them is pretty significant. So today we are going to start with mainly Belchertown State School because there's just so much on Belchertown. And we're also going to bring up um, Northampton State Hospital as well. So, uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. Being one of the oldest states, Massachusetts has a long and rich history Once relying solely on agriculture, fishing, and trade, the Commonwealth kept up with the times and became a hotspot for manufacturing during the Industrial Revolution. And with the arrival of the 20th century came the shift from manufacturing to higher education, engineering, and finance, amongst others. While Massachusetts has accomplished so much as a state, it also has a long, dark history. Today, we will be discussing the horrors and the conditions of Massachusetts's many mental institutions. While many of them are completely closed down today, their hollow and vandalized shells are left behind like scars. We're going to start with the Belchertown State School, located in Belchertown, Massachusetts, At 30 State Street, there are 10 major buildings as a part of its campus. Belchertown State School, or BSS, is actually a place I've been to with friends when I was younger and did a bit of urban exploring. It's actually a beautiful campus. When you're there, even in all the ruin, you could imagine whoever designed it wanted it to be beautiful. They wanted it to be a sanctuary for people to be rehabilitated and to be taken care of. There were so many houses on the campus, which were meant for the attendance, a big auditorium with ample seating, a stage with a heavy red velvet curtain that still hung when I was there. There were playgrounds and classrooms, kitchens. I remember seeing a room that reminded me of my kindergarten classroom. The faint outlines of bubble lettering, the faded paper trim that accompanies every elementary classroom. There were dorm rooms, offices, all set back away from the road, away from the... According to Donald Lebrecht, History Training Department of Developmental Services, the general public didn't understand what it meant for those who are physically and mentally disabled. Built in 1922 by the architects Kendall, Taylor & Co., the school spent its first 40 years without much public scrutiny. The third institution of its kind in Massachusetts, 
Belchertown State School was welcomed by the community. This meant jobs and foot traffic locally, which would greatly boost the local economy. According to Donald LeBrec, who works for the Department of De- Developmental Services, the general public didn't understand what it meant for those who were physically disabled or mentally disabled. They expected that these institutions could cure these patients, that they could walk out of the institutions as quote unquote normal people working and becoming an independent member of society. And that wasn't the case for many of these patients. The goal was to allow these patients to grow and do the best they can to the best of their ability, even if that meant lifelong care. Like most things, we can blame the view of the public on the rise of eugenics. With popularization of eugenics came the misuse of the intelligence test. When Alfred Binet created the intelligence test in Paris, it was used to help children in the classroom to find their weak spots and to assist them in their learning. However, how it was used here was to test to see if someone was feeble-minded. It was to find people who had low mental ages to have them institutionalized and have them labeled as genetically defective. The belief was that if, quote unquote, these people were allowed to remain in society, they would reproduce and create feeble minded offspring with people being alcoholics, be perverts, what have you. Unrightfully institutionalized, the Belchertown State School workers quickly became outnumbered over time. One could find themselves as one of four staff members per 100 patients. In a 1970s expose, a reporter called the conditions he witnessed as an affront to human decency. And just a side note, um, watching bits and pieces of the footage from this expose, which is actually available in a documentary that um, Northampton Public Access TV, they made a documentary about the Belchertown State School. So they included some of the original footage from this news report expose. Um, so basically what you see in this, and I really recommend that you guys watch it. Um, you basically see patients like imagine a twin size bed, but like it's a futon. Um, and you know how like the futon mattresses have those covers that are like tight over them. Um, so it's like that, except it's unzipped halfway, like like a sheet almost. And then so like a, the patients are just like stuffed inside. Fucked up sleeping bag. Yeah. And it looks like it's made of vinyl. It's like really shiny and horrible. And they're just like, it was horrible. So and I know you guys could see the position that I was making on the camera. So I realize it's not a visual medium. Um, But no, it it was pretty shocking. At the time of the report, no children under the age of six were allowed to be admitted into the institution. Uh, However, when it first opened, children could be brought in there as infants which is kind of how insane someone to me. I don't know as how. An and they're like, yep, this one is not going to be smart. I can tell how. Yeah. 
so let's get into the conditions that these patients faced. Now, former resident Donald Vitkus uh, said he basically ate the same food every day. Um, they mixed all the food together for them every day in a bowl, and they were only allowed to eat with a spoon ever. Um, and everything was just all mixed in together. I so you really couldn't screwed. like pick out if what If anyone was what. knows me, I basically he, still need those divider yeah. plates. I, I don't like my food all mixed together. I'd be screwed. I would not. I would yeah, not. Well, you would not. You would not do well here. Um, and that was actually a habit he said that he continued to do throughout his life until he was taught how to use like actual utensils, which wasn't until adulthood. So he said he heard that the staff members ate like real food that wasn't all mixed together, but he never saw any of it himself. The kitchen where the patient's food was prepared had a drain in the floor that would back up with sewage about three to four times a year. And that sewage would end up all over the kitchen floor and would go into the dining area as well. Yeah. Um, David R., uh, who was an attendant there from 1971 to 1972, said that bathing the patients consisted of lining up. He worked with the male patients. So lining up the boys and men naked up against the wall in the bathroom and using a garden hose to spray them down with cold water. And that was their bath. He also notes that medications were mismanaged. So attendants had access to all the medications that the patients needed. Um, they were all put in certain doses and those little cups like you see in movies pretty much. Uh, but none of them really knew what any of them did. Um, sometimes they would accidentally mix medications for certain patients. And other times if they wanted a quiet day, they would change the medications to basically make patients For those of you just who can't see, I'm rule. shaking my head at all of this. Well, nobody can see. So all of you who can't see, I'm shaking my head see. at this. For those of they you just didn't have time see. to deal with him or help him with his issues. So they just like basically covered his mouth up so he couldn't bite anyone. And that was that. Uh, there was also a point in the original news footage um, that showed a patient wearing a fencing mask. And I guess... So basically how this whole thing worked is that this dude who works or who worked at the Belchertown State School was giving this news person a tour around the facility um, that looked horrible. But he was like trying to justify everything like, oh, yeah, we're really understaffed and everything like that and blah, blah, blah. But it still doesn't excuse anything. So they basically just put a fencing mask on him because he had a habit of biting people's ears off. So Donald Vitkus, who was uh, one of the residents there, um, he said that during his time at Belchertown State School, he never learned what his birthday was. Um, they just never told him that. Uh, his identity was completely stripped from him. In his book, You'll Like It Here, um, which I highly recommend. I mean, if you want to cry too, definitely read it. Um, he stated that the bathrooms had no separation or privacy. Uh, they would all be brought to the bathroom at a specific time and they would all go alphabetically. 
So it didn't matter who needed to go more. So if you had an accident while you're waiting in line, like that just sucks for you because, you know, you have a Z for a last name or something like that. Um, But, you know, when you get in the bathroom, it's not even much better uh, because the toilets had no seats on them. So if you had to sit down to pee or do anything, you're sitting on the porcelain. Um, and what's really cool is oh, thank that God. they, you know, what, what turned a horrible the thing in the sink. So they didn't have to worry about washing their hands. Yeah. Yeah. So basically just imagine like there's no stalls, there's no separation. You're just, you could hold hands with someone right next thinking, to you sitting on. What would you do if you had your period? And doing whatever you need to do. Oh, I don't know, but I can't imagine it's great. Like I can't imagine yeah, it was like yeah. rosy on the girl's side either. It, it It's horrible, but don't worry because the patients actually had to clean the bathrooms too. Um, so they were given one set of clothes to wear for a week until the... I think it was like Sunday or something where they changed out clothes and that was laundry day. So you have this one set of clothes for the week, um, growing out. Oh, sorry. Growing up in Belchertown state school, he said that all the residents there had jobs. So like I said, they cleaned the bathrooms. They basically cleaned everything. They kept this place running. This campus was so big. It had a bakery. It had a farm that produced food. It, there was so much that happened there, but it just doesn't make sense to me that they're producing all of this food, but yeah, I don't the patients themselves can't what's the point of a bakery. If you're not have that food, who's using it? Like you, you just have a bakery on site and nobody's using it. It's a waste. But it's a little hand. Oh, probably of staff. the staff gets to use it. So that's good. <laughs> like crumbs of staff. Yeah, it basically is what it sounds like is that the staff just like I don't know what the staff does there. Um yeah, so they had to do the kitchen duties, you know, working in the sewage-filled uh, kitchen. Aside from, you know, maintaining buildings. Um, they would often have to care for patients who were too dependent on caregivers. So the patients that were not independent enough to feed themselves, you know, they couldn't go to the bathroom on their own. They wore diapers, what have you. Um, they had to go to the infirmary and take care of those. Here's patients. the thing. I can, I can understand. Yes. You're, you're understaffed. That's awful. I can see how some things would slip but stop taking yeah. people in. I feel like it's really that simple. Yeah, sorry. We, like, sorry, we there's take no care room left. You're going to have to find somewhere yeah. else. We no capacity. Sorry. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. But here, fuck but if we know, right? Capitalism. Donald said that at one point, I think it was congressmen or something like that who came in to walk around the campus and they followed him when he went into the infirmary to go take care of a certain patient who he had to feed with a spoon, who um, just couldn't really chew or do much on his own. And 
like while the congressmen were there, they watched like this patient care for this other patient, clean up his accidents because he had to like go to the bathroom and he was wearing a diaper. So this child, because he was a child while he was there, is taking care of this adult patient who needs a lot more care than this kid can provide. And he's changing him on these like piss and like shit covered sheets. And he he can't clean that up because there's nothing clean about this place. And they said that the congressman walked outside and like threw up and went on. And but like nothing immediately changed. They were just like, oh, wow, that place sucks. And then just sucks for that guy. Not my problem. Yikes. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, thank God. That's not yeah. me. See Ooh, man, let's get out of here. Yeah. So that's fucked up. Oh, but don't worry, because it gets better. Um, Donald said he also had to bathe younger patients. Basically, they're they're caring for everyone. Like the capable patients caring for everyone. So, like I said, the really dependent patients stayed in the infirmary. Um, and Donald recalled that when uh, patients died, um, they would just be gone and no one would bring them up again. No one would say what happened to them. They would just be gone. And unfortunately, um, you know, when Donald asked, he would often be told, oh, they're at Turkey Hill. And later, Donald found out that that's where they buried all of the patients uh, at Turkey Hill. Who do you think buried the patients? The patients. Yes. So there were certain patients there called they well Donald called them the farm boys and they were more or less grown adults who were independent but i guess deemed not independent enough to live in society but since they had the strength and whatnot to dig a bunch of graves they had them dig the graves for the patients and um, they said that they basically just wrapped them up in blankets and dumped their bodies. And, oh, their names weren't on graves or anything. It was just their patient number on a little stone. At least they had a stone. I thought it was just going to be like mass burial. I mean, it basically was like they couldn't identify any of them. They just know by their patient numbers. So did they track of the patient numbers? Yeah. Okay, well, at least okay, at least they have somewhat of a filing system. He recalled on one occasion they had a Christmas celebration, um, which do you think? Oh, nice. So they had like a Christmas party and all the patients were given stockings uh, with toys in them. And then at the end of the party, I'm sure there were like important people there to see this stuff because at the end of the party, they took everything back. Of course, yeah, because there's nothing good in this world. Um, so attendance would no surprise here, beat the patients. Uh, Donald recalls seeing one of the patients being ripped off from the windowsill and beaten. And he saw a bone protrude from his arm because like when he ripped them off the wall, he's a small kid. So, yeah. yeah. So the attendants had enough energy to beat children. Yeah but not enough to escort people to the bathroom and clean. Yeah, no. 
interesting how that works. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Um, so they would beat the patients. They would try to humiliate them at every turn, um, strip them of their identity. And if they tried to escape the wonderful place that is Belchertown State School, uh, the attendants would then put that person in a diaper, bring them out in front of everyone in their housing unit, and they would force everyone to chant baby, baby, runaway baby while this person's standing in a diaper. Donald even said in his book um, he didn't want to chant with them. He knew what would happen if he didn't chant because then he would either be put in a diaper or be shown as sympathizing with someone who ran away. Um, so he had to chant along with them and everyone had to chant along with them. What excellent mental health professionals. Yeah. It's like wonderful. Like you go in like a little sad and you leave completely fucked up, completely fucking traumatized. Yeah. So there were licensed doctors and surgeons who worked there. Um, but it, it's rumored. I haven't been able to find like any concrete, but it, uh, any concrete evidence about this. Um, but a lot of the doctors there, it's rumored that they, weren't really allowed to practice anywhere else because they didn't have the actual qualifications and they could only practice with the mental patients because basically no one cared about them. And they would often experiment with drugs. So um, they didn't really have like an opportunity to play that often on the rare occasions uh, they did. It was okay, but normally they just sat in like the rec center for hours on end and they weren't allowed to really talk to each other. Um, they were just allowed to sit there and be quiet for hours. They did go to school there. Um, so I guess the school part isn't really that misleading. But school was like digging graves <laughs> and making sure you chant on time. No, the school was actually from what. Donald wrote in his book, it actually sounds like the schooling part was the best part about that because the teachers were not part of the attendings or anything like that. They weren't part of the medical. They were totally separate. So that was good. But what's not great is that they took one grade, no matter how well they did, for two years. So Donald said by the time he was 17, he only graduated from the fourth or fifth grade. He reviewed all of his um, like report cards afterwards. And they all said that he did great. Like he did really well in school and everything like that. They held him back. So then when he. No. So then when he's like back in the real world, not only does he have less than a middle school education, he has no confidence in his learning ability because he's been held back unnecessarily like yeah that system might work for some kids not for all of them and it really just seems like they threw them in here for shits and giggles the horrendous conditions at Belchertown were eventually revealed in 1971 in a newspaper article entitled the tragedy of Belchertown parents sued the school and when Robert H Quinn the Massachusetts attorney general toured the facility. He described it as a hellhole, which is 
An astute okay. observation. Astute observation. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this was the first lawsuit against a state school and others followed in Massachusetts for the next two years. In 1973, the unnecessary death of a patient resulted in a lawsuit that saw the hiring of nearly 100 new ward personnel, which is like kind of modest considering their ratio. Yeah. And I'm sorry, if what, what quality are you getting? Yeah. If it's just the same group of shitty people, then, then we don't need them. No, because from, so the one guy that I spoke about before who was describing how they based patient in the seventies, Donald was there from, I think he was basically gone by the seventies. So he left in 1968. So it was shitty from the beginning and it, it stayed shitty. And it opened in 1922. Yep. Yeah. So lawsuits came in 1975. Belchertown was school. Belchertown was schooled, but they were also sued once again for denying its patients the right to vote. Uh, this was one of the first disability related voting rights cases in the United States. And in 1977, a case was brought against the school on behalf of a 67-year-old mentally ill man unable to properly take care of himself with leukemia to determine if a court-appointed guardian could refuse treatment on his behalf. So shots are being fired left and right. It didn't close until 1992, so obviously they didn't hit that hard. Robert... uh, of the Robert H. Quinn Roberts described seeing walls covered in feces, adult patients in cribs naked, patients walking around naked, covered in food, vomit, feces, and urine. He said that maggots could be seen coming out of patients' ears. Oh my God. Yeah. That's inc- like so incredibly sad. Um, so thankfully this hell hole was closed in 1992, but not soon enough, not soon enough. Holy. Yeah. Um, Al Warner worked hard to get the unofficial cemetery cleaned up to have stones with patients names on them and not their numbers. Now it's called the Warner Pine Grove Cemetery. It's close to burials. But when Donald Vitkus died in 2018, this is really sad. <laughs> so, oh, no. Okay. It's close to burials. But when Donald Vitkus died in 2018, he requested to be buried at the Warner Pine Grove, uh, at the Warner Pine Grove Cemetery. When asked about this before his death, he said he wanted to be buried with his family. which breaks my fucking heart. Um, My cold, dead, barely beating heart is broken. Um, So he's there as are many of the patients who died from the care they received at Belchertown State School. Or lack thereof. There is a monument Um, on the monument. It says the inspiration for this monument was provided by Al Warner, who wished to remember his friends, which makes me want to die. 
So I took some screenshots of Albinate or like whatever the fucking intelligence test uh, that they were giving out at this time. It's a weird test. So like you are a mental age of four years old. You know what sex you are. You recognize what a key, a knife, a penny is. Um, You can repeat the numbers one, four and eight. Uh, You can compare lines. Um, If you are a mental age of five. So if you, I just want to let you know, Kristen, if you don't get these questions right, um, we're putting you away and you're done because you are a mental age of five. Uh, So I just don't understand how someone's intelligence can be determined so young, like mental age of five years old, they can compare the number three and 59. They can compare the number six and 159. Three and 59. Yeah. Like what, what correlation do those two things? Um, They, like, I, I would have to answer that's the number three. That's the number 59. Yeah. Um, Like what, what is that even, how is that even a question? uh, They can repeat his name is John. He is a very good boy. Counts four pennies. And then this is just in quotes, patience, patience, patience. Like I have to be calm and patient. Yeah. And if you're not, you're, I'd be screwed. I'd I'd be in. I have the least amount of patience ever. I don't care if someone is like dragging their dislocated leg behind them. I'm like, Oh, get out of my way. I literally never have anywhere to go, but I have to get there yesterday. And I know, I think that's new England. Yeah. We're ruined. New England ruined us. It did because I have no time for anything. But then if anyone, so help me God, if anyone tries to rush me, then I'm like, you need to How calm the you? fuck down. I set the pace. I bitch. set the pace. Not you. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Uh, chooses prettier. Basically, you get shown a box of six pictures. And three are ugly or deformed. And three are not ugly or deformed. And so you have to, if you so help you, God, if you choose any ugly ones, you're done. You're done because you're going back to age five. What? Ugly versus pretty. Yeah. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I, okay. I know. I was just like, that's, that's such a gosh. laughable, but what horrible a stupid thing. test. It sounds like. A three-year-old came up with this test. Exactly. It that's this is a pretty box and this is a not pretty box. Yeah. And it failed. I, what bothers me is that like I don't do well with things on the spot. And as a kid, I really didn't. So I'm pretty sure I would fail. Listen, I'm not a good test taker. No. I'm a good bullshitter though. Like like if someone asks me to talk about something, I can pull shit out of yeah. my ass. But if you put multiple choice in front of me, it'll take me forever, you know, an hour longer than everyone else because I have to reread it 15 times because I'm like, are they trying to trick me? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, but what if this is the answer they want me to pick? I know. What? Well, I've answered C three times in a row now. This is a trick. This is a trap. This is a They're trap. Trapping. Even though I know C is the right answer. It's too easy, (laughs) but it's, it's too easy. It's too easy because honestly, kids develop at different rates. And even if someone has a learning disability that they can still comprehend things. 
Um, so yeah, so basically Belchertown State School was a hellhole, horrible all around. Um, so the second on our list for today is Northampton State Hospital. It was another beautiful campus. It was a different approach, I guess. I don't really know the differences basically between like the state schools and the state hospitals. They all kind of seem really shitty to me, but this was in the moralist tradition, which is laughable. So it received its first patient in 1858. Um, It originally had a maximum capacity of 200 patients. However, that was quickly bumped up to 250. By the 1900s, the population had reached 476 patients. In 1925, they made an expansion to accommodate 1,000 patients. However, even that number was breached because in 1935, they had 2,100 patients. By 1952, 2,331 patients were at the hospital being served by 509 staff members. So that's roughly four to five patients per staff member. But you also have to think that all the staff members don't do the same job. Not all they don't work at the same time. Exactly. Like a lot of it could be admin. Like it's not all working one-on-one. Exactly. You're not all there at the same time. Exactly. Um, Their numbers did reach 2,500 at one point during that decade, uh, which was the record for them, Um, which is, it just sounds insane. Uh, conditions at this hospital were reported to be terrible early on. So like as soon as the turn of the century, people were like, yeah, this place is a piece of shit, which is. I I just like, I feel like that's the same story with every single institution. Yeah. So it's like, why, why is anybody shocked? All of them have the same story. Yeah. And two movies were actually filmed there. In dreams. In dreams. We had a friend who was actually in that movie. I know. Yeah, I remember that. So you need to watch In Dreams. Um, it's a really good movie. It is a really good movie. Uh, Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Who's the woman in there? Oh, Annette Benning. Oh, obviously. <laughs> no, I have yeah. no idea who the hell she is. And also Cider House Rules, I guess, was film there. Yeah. I remember Mel auditioned for that. Oh yeah. I do remember that. But anyway, so we actually went into the area. I don't know if you remember where part of that movie was shot. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, we went into the part where, so, okay. I'm going to interrupt here. Yeah. Backstory. Our uncle through marriage, uh, used to run not as like a doctor, but as an administrator, the Northampton state hospital. And as a result, long after it had closed down, he brought us and a couple friends in there for Halloween. So we were able to go into the main building, um, and walk a couple of the floors, see where a couple of the movies were built. And then we went down into the tunnels. Yes. And that was scary. (laughs) It was scary. But remember when we were, we were on one of the floors in the main building and it's just like how you would picture it. It's, you know, very thin mattresses pulled off the beds, oh, yeah. stuff all over the walls, like dolls with their heads popped off all over the place. It's, it was kind of 
sad to see, but then you go down to where in dreams was filmed. And um, there's a scene in the movie where I guess it's supposed to be blood written on the walls. Um, my daddy was a dollar. He wa- wasn't worth a cent. My daddy, no, my daddy was a dollar. He wasn't worth the cent. My daddy was a dollar. Something, something, something like that. Something yeah. Like that. And uh, so it was written all over the walls in, I can remember it was at the far room at the end of the hallway and it was still up on the walls there. So that was kind of cool. Cause we like creepy things. Yes. But, um, and then I remember I was looking down the dumbwaiter and our uncle says, Oh, don't do that. A nurse had her head cut off that way. Now that could be a complete BS story. Yes. It probably was. It probably was. But um, it, I know it has happened before because you're expecting it to come up and it comes down. And honestly, and then- that's like literally it's like I already had like that kind of fear where like if I ever got stuck in an elevator, I'm not going to climb out because it's going to chop me in half. But now he also implanted that fear of if I look down for a dumbwaiter, it's going to come and lop my head off. I just had, I got the chills across the back of my neck because I can remember me sticking my head in there and looking down and then him saying that. And now I can feel what it would be like to get my head chopped off. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I actually tried to look up that story. What, what I really need to do is go to Forbes library and do a little digging. Yeah. Well, you know what? Kay, Kay is our other cousin. Um, we've had family members work there. Gail worked there. Linda worked there for a little bit. It was the biggest um, employer in yeah the city. Which is insane. It is. Um, but we have a bunch of stories because we grew up in the area mm-hmm. from that. And Kay and I were talking um, about compiling all those stories and like trying to write a book. That would be awesome. We, yeah, we need to get a lot of those stories together because there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on. Uh, So, hey, yeah, that's an interesting topic. So if you guys know anyone who has stories from when they worked at some of these mental institutions back in the day, um, send them in. We'd love to hear them. I think it's such an interesting and sad and scary topic. And honestly, and what was disappointing about a lot of my research is that there isn't enough information about how the patients were treated. And it's not disappointing in the sense like, oh, I want all the salacious details. It's that it's important for everyone to know how these people were treated, because I don't know if you guys remember, but not too long ago, um, people in uh, politics were calling for the return of these institutions and for people to be institutionalized and people just don't really understand what that means and how people so many of those patients, like, especially when it first started, like if you were too much of a flirt as a woman institutionalized, if you, um, you know, got cranky on your period, institutionalized, yeah, like your husband just didn't want to deal with you anymore. You were institutionalized, depressed. You're done. Yeah, if you were just a problem, institutionalized, like Autistic, someone just didn't want to deal with ADHD, you. you're done. Yeah, it's just it, when we strip people of their humanity, it's disgusting the excuses that people come up with to justify horrific behavior. It is, and and that's more or less what 
Donald Vitkus said in his book, he said that he spent basically his entire life going to bed completely under his covers because he was afraid of being called out and he just wanted to hide from the attendants. So until what I can assume was his dying day, he had the routine of pulling his covers all the way over his head. Um, he would go to the bathroom with the door open because he a didn't want to feel contained, but he also felt like he was breaking a rule. He didn't know how to be independent. Yeah. In the beginning, they wanted to do something that's really commendable, but in practice, as we saw time and time again, they, they don't deliver. It's not this beautiful place back then, especially back then, but because there was no one to check them. No, because they're just like, who cares? Because they weren't humans, which is so insane. And what's sad is that there's still abuse um, in these systems today. Uh, So that, you know, a lot has changed, but also not as much as we'd like. So before the state hospital, the poor and mentally ill were often locked in attics, uh, jail cells, or left to the streets. A century and a half of continuous growth in patient numbers without adequate funding caused patients to be abandoned behind the walls of the asylum. Today, excellent programs are available throughout the state and federally funded agencies for some, but for others, prison is the only source of care for chronic mental illness. And the streets have yet again become a river of souls. I didn't write that. It's really nicely written. So I didn't want to take credit for that. Poetic as shit. <laughs> I'm just dropping bombs on you. Like, wow, that's beautiful. Um, how many people died at? Oh, I can only imagine. By the way, Northampton State Hospital now is apartments and a big like company and it has to be haunted, but also I'm so sad to see that go. Cause it was history. It, like, I, I think we should have kept it. Well, the buildings were so beautiful that sorry, there are 181 confirmed burials for patients who died at Northampton state hospital. That seems like a pretty low, low number. number. Unbelievably low considering. I mean, confirmed. Yeah. The operative word there. But um, Northampton State Hospital, as its original form, I believe, closed in 1993. So not too long after Belchertown. But not soon enough. Yeah, that's crazy. They must have all been like everybody was getting hip to how shitty everything was and then just started closing one after another. Well, in the 1960s, uh, John F. Kennedy, his sister, she was institutionalized and he really didn't know anything about her because the family hid her away forever. And once he discovered where she was and like how her life went, he started pushing a reform on how we treated um, mentally ill patients and patients who are dependent on caregivers. I know a story told to us through the family that um, 
they, someone they know was institutionalized for being a flirt. Um, a little promiscuous. Yeah, I think it's probably just like, oh, haha, you're so funny at some guy's dumb joke. And they're like, that's enough out of you and put her away. But I heard that she like escaped with yeah. someone she fell in love with there. And because she was like chill, the hospital was just like meh and just let him go. Yeah. Well, I think around the time that that happened, she, there was like thousands of patients there and they were like, mm. we, we ain't got the time. Please. Yeah. Leave. <laughs> Sorry, the that's enough out of you kind of killed me a little bit. <laughs> There's a lot more going on there that I think I will be able to find at a public library. Because yeah. now I want to know. Now I found out so much about Belchertown. Anyways, guys, um, thanks for tuning in today. It was kind of a dark, depressing one. But hey, that's why we're here. Anyways, uh, like... Review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, and send in stories. So yes. if you have one about a state hospital, mental hospital, or really anything like we've said before, yeah. send it over to the darkhighwayspod at gmail.com. Um, and be sure to follow us on Instagram too at darkhighwayspod. You can follow us on Twitter, but listen, you're gonna be bored. You're gonna be you're disappointed over there. It's it's bleak it is bleak <laughs> um but yeah it's been real peace out <laughs> okay bye guys <laughs>